0: Sorry, we got all distracted. We're supposed to be in here doing a job, right? You know, oh, I can right. complain more later.
1: <laughs> we are so prepared. We are off and running. Welcome back to Switchcast, the beauty of doing it live, and uh, we are happy to be here with you. And we hope you're happy to be here with us. Uh, certainly uh, hope you are not foregoing better things to do on a Wednesday night but that's why we picked Wednesday not Friday anyway we are here to entertain educate and edify you on the drive of your life whether you are a total car nerd or just trying to uh, make it through car ownership without uh, totally getting uh, raked over the coals by the dealership service department or salesman or anything like that we are we are here to, to help and uh, tell you stories and anecdotes along the way of of uh, mistakes we've made and and that other people have made and all sorts of stuff to help you out. Uh, We have a wonderful format here in Season 3. We have uh, some excellent characters, uh, the Appraiser, the Scaminator, the Shrewd Negotiator, the Corvette Curmudgeon, and more. We'll have some interesting guests coming up as well. Topics like how to read Carfax reports, the questions you do and don't need to ask when you're buying a car, how to protect yourself from getting scammed when you're selling a car, uh, insurance questions. We have an insurance expert coming on in a couple weeks. That'll be a fun episode, even though insurance is not really a fun topic. There's certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of horror stories, and I think probably everybody has had some sort of uh, dealing with insurance in their life. If you haven't had an insurance claim, I don't know who you are but uh yeah if you own an Altima, you've probably had seven or ten insurance claims i
0: had a buddy have his this year witness some bay energy it was a, they drove up <laughs> onto the middle of a curb hit like a concrete thing backed up left and left the like plastic under tray in the middle of the road and drove off <laughs> i have one actually on my dash cam of an Altima
1: that merged onto the highway and was missing <laughs> bumpers and lights oh and et cetera, et etc It's so good. I don't remember if he was also running from the police, but (laughs) it was it was uh, definitely (laughs) big Ultima Energy. Uh, So uh, our our main topic tonight is pre-purchase inspections. Now that may seem like a nerdy thing that only fancy car people do, but really any everybody should consider doing them, because uh, you can't trust the dealer, to be honest with you, right? Uh, You're dealing with car salesmen, and the old joke about car salesmen is the same as politicians. How do you know if they're lying? Their lips are moving. (laughs) Right, yes, I can say that, because I am one. Don't throw your stones if you live in a glass house. Not a liar, I'm a car salesman, but... (laughs) Um, anyway, so <laughs> also there's a lot of scams out there. So if you're buying remotely or over the internet, which a lot of people are doing, uh, in today's world, you need to make sure you're not sending your money to somebody whose brother is a Nigerian prince. So we're going to get into that in a little bit and talk about, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly of pre-purchase inspections or PPIs as they're more commonly known. Uh, but we want to touch on some some news this week, and uh, man, we've got an awesome, awesome wall of shame post. The wall of shame is one of the most popular sections of my website, which is basically us posting really terrible emails that we've gotten from usually would-be customers, almost never actual customers, because if you make it onto the wall of shame, you you darn sure probably aren't going to buy a car. Anyway, we've got... One that really takes a cake. It's it's one of my favorites of the last five years, probably. So uh, stick around, and we'll get right to it. But we're gonna in the the good news, bad news, right? We always like bad news first, or at least I do. I wanna I wanna finish on a good note. If somebody has two things to tell me, uh, so we're gonna start with the bad news. Now it's not as bad, I think, as, as people are saying. There has been a couple of TikTok reels, Instagram reels, whatever going around where people are showing videos of wholesale car auctions. And they're showing this big field of cars coming in. They're saying, oh my gosh, they're all repos. And the repos are soaring. And this means the used car market is just crashing. And you know the world's going to end. And there's 15,000 repos a day, yada, yada, yada. And it's getting a lot of views. But the problem with this video is there's absolutely no context. What does 15,000 per day mean, if that was even the number he was using? I don't remember. But what does that number mean if there's no frame of reference, right? Well, what was it last year? Um what was it 5 years ago what was it uh, basically pre-pandemic cuz that's kind of what we're um we have like two economies going on right it's like bc and ad here right uh before covid and after donald <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's amazing right. how different it is it's a little depressing cuz i think of not just car stuff but i think about so many other things in the like well that's how i felt or what i did before covid and now life is just different
1: Right. Our well, well, finances different. are certainly different. But we yeah. we have to go back and essentially the frame of reference for the market is because we had 2 years of an artificial market in in every aspect. We had money flowing from the government, free money, quote unquote. So we have to go back to when times are were normal and say, okay, how does this compare to before? Last week, we looked at the production and sales numbers of some major automotive manufacturers, specifically Porsche, and compared that to before uh, the pandemic. And it we saw that Porsche actually delivered more cars in the quote-unquote supply chain crunch of 2021 and 2022 than they ever did before, which is its own little conspiracy theory in and of itself. However, uh, l- let's look at the repossession rates and the auto loan delinquency rates from before the pandemic and after to get a sense of context. So the... Repos per day is actually 5,000 is, is the number that is happening right now, right? That, that was the, the rate for 2022. There was 2.2 million cars repoed in 2022. That might sound like a lot, but it was 2.4 million in 2019. So the repos, when this video was made about repos soaring, are not even up to pre-pandemic levels. A lot of that is because people got, you know, handouts. They were on extended stimulus checks and extended unemployment. Uh, personal savings uh, boomed in 2020 and 2021, and credit card and other debt, consumer debt was at an all-time low. Now that's not surprising, again, because people were getting tons of checks from the government, and their expenses were naturally lower. So they could you know, put their money into their house, pay off debt, and a lot of people did. And that's why we have massive inflation as a result of all the, the government handouts. Now, what we're seeing is that that trend has basically reversed. We are back to before the pandemic in terms of savings rates and consumer debt. In fact, consumer debt if I'm reading my statistics correctly, consumer debt is higher than it was before, and uh, savings is at an all-time low. So that is being affected by uh, people not getting government checks anymore, but also um, in massive inflation across the board and living expenses. And rising interest rates. So if people have uh, variable rate loans on their homes, on their home equity lines, et cetera, et cetera, now they're really feeling the squeeze. Okay. You didn't come here for an economic lesson. You can read all that on the news. How does this relate to cars? Well, we talked about repos. Repos are not back to 2019 levels yet. However, Auto loan delinquency rates are at an all-time... No, I'm sorry. Not an all-time high. They are at the highest rate they've been since the last economic meltdown, the Great Recession in beginning in 2008. So they are at the highest rate since then and approaching those numbers. Uh, they are about 25% higher than they were a year ago. Now, all of this is kind of a result of what I just talked about. We've got inflation going up. We've got the cost of groceries, the cost of living going up. But at the same time, people have been overpaying for cars the last two years, financing them out the butt. The average car payment is the highest it's ever been. And the rate of seven to eight year loans is the highest that it's been. So people are just drowning themselves in debt for cars. And not just cars, cars that they overpaid for and they're now massively underwater on. Uh, the, the values have gone down about 20 to 30% in the last six months. So people who bought at an all-time high and, and had this massive car payment are now way, way underwater on their loans. And what happened in 2009 when people were underwater on their house loans? Boom. <laughs> they walked away. They gave them back to the bank. Mm. So, what I'm looking at with this data is that we're approaching, we are, you know, we went back to the, the 5K repos a day. We are not yet back to 2019 levels, but we are approaching kind of a bubble bursting in terms of repossessions. And I think that's going to be pretty bad. Um, and, and probably mostly, you know, like two to three year old cars, new cars that were bought during the pandemic. Um, supply is, is pretty much back to normal. I talked to new car dealers. They have cars on their lot. And, um, I was talking to somebody today, they had a a Bronco that the dealer offered them a brand new Bronco V6 at 2,500 over sticker. Those used to be like 20 grand over sticker. And I told him not to buy it. I said, that's a sticker car, and you're going to lose your shirt in the next six months. And he responded with, yeah, the dealer says they have 20 of them coming in that are unsold in the next couple months. So this is not an isolated incident, right? So we're going to see... we're gonna see a lot of uh, a lot of this unfolding in the used car market or, or new car market I'm sorry new car market more uh, also the used car market but people are the the used car market right now is being held up in a sense by this phenomenon because the manufacturers all jack their prices up you know the used car market goes by supply and demand prices are commanded by or determined by the buyers and by the market the new cars the manufacturers all jacked up the sticker prices because of inflation. And now buyers are just saying, yeah, we're not going to pay those prices. So in the short term, that's bolstering the used car market. Now I'm sure the, the manufacturers will respond with rebates and discounts just like Tesla did. Holy crap. Yeah. You know, (laughs) dropping prices 10 to 20% across the board. So that is coming, but right now that's actually, uh, bumping the used car market because in January, the used car sales were up like 26% or something ridiculous. They were way up in, in January for used car sales. So interesting things happening in the market, interesting things coming. The important takeaway, at least for me on this, was when you see a statistic, don't take it at face value just in terms of here's the one number. You have to look at it as a graph, look at it with other comparative statistics to really understand what somebody is trying to say. Because a number like 5,000 repos a day means absolutely nothing unless you know what it was yesterday. Because, you know, if it was 2,000 yesterday, 5,000 is a problem. If it was 10,000 yesterday, 5,000 is great. So context is everything. Yeah. And you don't get much context at all in these short little silly reels
0: on on uh on the social medias no but the yeah. other thing i'm not trying to derail is i cannot imagine well i can for a very specific situation but a normal person i feel like should not have an eight-year car loan if my dream gt3 comes up for sale i'll get a one of those 15 <laughs> year woodside balloon i don't care i will bankrupt myself for that car but that is a very <laughs> specific instance i'm not doing that for like a new tahoe (laughs) or whatever you know
1: so yeah right so there's two different reasons people get it right so the the new tahoe people are getting it for affordability right they're just saying well i can't afford a five-year payment so i'm gonna go seven years or eight years which is a problem in and of itself Uh, so bad on the collector side of thing people will also play the payment game but they'll justify it i hear all the time like oh well I have my cash in investments or in real estate or I have my cash somewhere else. And this was especially when the interest rates were low. And, you know, the the car is like an investment and I'm going to pay it off in six months. And all these different justifications of like, well, it doesn't really matter how long the loan is because the car is not going to go down in value and I'm going to pay it off. Well, that works until it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Like. Let's say you had your money in the stocks last year, and you said, "Oh well, it's free money. I can borrow against this Porsche at two point three percent, and the Porsche is not going to go down in value." Guess what? The Porsche went down in value. Your stocks went down in value. So you trying to play the margins of, "Oh, I borrowed at two and a half percent, but I'm making eight percent over here." Well, no. Now you lost ten percent, and you're you still have the loan. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But let's let's not get all Dave Ramsey I here. Um, we can, can get right. this back on track. Okay. So. Wall of Shame. This is I've been saving this one. I I absolutely love this one. If I can remember, oh shoot, I don't I don't have the guy's screen name in front of me because he does deserve to get called out. But on a bring a trailer auction, I had a nineteen sixty six Volkswagen transporter. And you know the the peanut gallery on Bring a Trailer is always pretty entertaining. Um, when people can say anything in, in relative anonymity, I mean it's just I guess that's just the internet in general, but uh, watching it play out in real time on an auction is is pretty good. but this one really took the cake. So the background I 'm going to pull the audience here. Does anyone know off the top of their head what the word "niggling means that's a no Tyler, Dan. You've heard it used. Ethan? Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a very dangerous word to use. Like, uh, you can fine. slip into something okay. real quick. But if I say, okay, the, the Ferrari 550 was in service to address some niggling electrical issues.
0: Oh Yeah, I get it in that context.
1: Okay, right? Context yeah. clues, right? Figured it out? If you didn't know what it means, and I posted in the auction that we addressed some niggling electrical issues on this Volkswagen, what would
0: you... What would you do before responding? I'd probably slap that word in the old Google machine and figure out what I'm missing. Probably. (laughs) You're a smart person. That's what you usually do
1: (laughs) if you don't know something before taking a really strong stance against it, right? (laughs) Well, this guy didn't. And I use that exact phrase, which like I've used, you go to the doctor, I've got niggling aches and pains, whatever. I use that exact phrase that we address some niggling electrical issues. His response, quote-unquote, which I took a screenshot of because on Bring a Trailer, you can flag a comment if it's not constructive, quote-unquote. So it's like, you know, democratic censorship. So if you get more than three flags, it gets removed. And I kind of wish people didn't flag it because this one deserved to be there for everybody to see forever. So in response, he said, quote, I'm not sure what you mean by a bunch of niggling electrical issues. If you are saying that our African-American brothers had a hand in the <laughs> restoration work, shame on you. We are all equal here and share our love of automobiles, no matter the race of the people who
0: own or repair them." End quote. My goodness. I mean, I was kind of joking when I said you could accidentally slip something out if, you, if you're not careful when you use that word, but I wasn't that serious. <laughs> goodness. But
1: he, you, I mean, he starts with, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, then look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're trying so hard to be woke here that you just face planted so hard.
0: I don't know what I'm talking about, but let me act like I know what I'm talking about real quick. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness! I can't, I can't believe that. With all, all the other crap that's on Bring a Trailer that stays up, that is arguably not constructive. I can't believe that got removed. Oh my goodness! It stayed up for longer than I thought,
1: but I literally just responded. I copy and pasted the the dictionary definition and just said, "Go throw out your woke di- dictionary and get a real one." <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, the, so the the definition is. Causing slight but persistent annoyance, discomfort, or anxiety. So, there you go. You learned something today. It's a old man word, but uh, yeah, that guy. Whew. I think we can go down to the soda
0: shop later and get us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's pay for this uh, podcast. Alrighty, righty. Uh, SwitchCast is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Uh, Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows, uh, such as Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates, as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info, and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. Celebrity
1: Machines is also hosting the
0: Backyard 400 again this year
1: in Travis Bell's backyard, um, which is a heck of a backyard. Didn't uh,
0: the guy get very injured last year? I don't think
1: anyone got very injured. There was multiple carts that flipped. But nobody Oh, that's right. He flipped. Nobody. Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah. yes, Mark. So he was one of the ones who rolled his cart. Um yes, nobody was injured, amazingly. I lost ten dollars to myself because I thought <laughs> surely somebody was gonna die. But this is the kind of entertainment Travis has in his backyard. Carts going around a paved quote unquote walking
0: path with buildings and trees in between. And so good. I'm very sad that you did not uh, win the ability to purchase that C5 Pace Car go kart when we were in Rhode Island last yes, year. Yes, yes, the, that, that would a, have been amazing. Mm, yes, yes, uh, that would have
1: been perfect for the Corvette Curmudgeon. A, a, a anniversary? <laughs> no, sorry, no. not an anniversary. A Pace Car, the purple with yellow wheels and yellow so interior <laughs> Pace Car
0: go kart version. So close. So close. It wouldn't have fit in the wagon anyway. So we've got Nick in chat saying that their grandpa actually used the word niggling <laughs> with a <laughs> laughing face. So it is, it's real. It's, I use it like in the car industry, you use it all the time. I feel like, no, it makes sense. When you first said it, I was confused, but I've used it myself. I guarantee it at some point. Yes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs>
1: All right. Our main topic is pre-purchase inspections. And uh, if you can stick with us through this, this is actually some good stuff. Um, We'll have the Corvette curmudgeon and uh, shrewd negotiator after this and get to your questions. But pre-purchase inspections. So uh, background of, of PPIs, for those of you that don't know, is essentially if you agree to buy a car, you can make it contingent on an inspection just like you would with a home. Now you can just run it down to your local mechanic and have him put it up on a lift and and check it out underneath. And some people have experts come out. I've been hired myself to go evaluate uh, Porsche GT threes. I'm no mechanic, but I've developed a more thorough inspection process than most Porsche dealers for those cars, anyway. Um, But there's a number of things that people expect to get out of PPIs now. I think that the expectations are key here because um, just like with a home inspection, you don't necessarily hire one person to look at everything. Um, So, you know, you might hire a, a regular home inspector to make sure that the foundation is solid and there's no evidence of water damage, et cetera, et cetera. But when we bought our house recently, we also hired a mold company specifically to test for that. Um, Going back, I probably also would have hired an electrician and a plumber to look at specific things that is their particular area of expertise. But I think what people expect when they get a pre-purchase inspection on a car is that it basically negates the the um, principle of caveat emptor, which is buyer beware. Uh, this is actually a, a legal precedent when buying cars. Uh, used car dealers are covered with the as-is clause, and short of fraudulent misrepresentation, um, a salesman can pretty much tell you whatever he wants about the car, and it's on the buyer to make sure that they're comfortable with the purchase and looking at Google reviews of dealers, including our own, um, it's pretty obvious that buyers don't understand this principle. They buy a car and a month later, or a week later, or a year later, something goes wrong, and they want to blame the car dealer. And uh, maybe sometimes it's it's the car dealer misrepresenting things or hiding issues, but you know. Car dealers are held to way too high of a standard. Like, really, they're just buying used cars. They might change the oil. They might inspect it and they're throwing it out on the lot. It is the buyer's responsibility to make sure they're comfortable with the purchase. Now, with a PPI, it still is your responsibility and the car is still sold as is. But people want to try to minimize their risk with PPIs and they do. All sorts of strategies to do it. Probably the weakest strategy I see is when people go on the forums, the online car forums, and they'll be like, hey, I'm looking at this car at such and such dealer. Can anyone go check it out for me? And that's basically like asking, if you're looking at a house, just going on Facebook and being like, can somebody go to the open house? (laughs) And that's the inspection. Like you have no idea the qualifications of the people on the forums. Now, one might say that the the he with, with the most posts on a forum is probably the most expert, <laughs> but usually they're just the most blowhard. They're the one with the least experience because they have all sorts of time to post online as opposed to actually going and doing things. Um, the, the The most renowned automotive experts I know in the exotic car world have like seven posts on any given forum because they're too busy actually working on cars and gaining experience. So I always think that's funny when people offer to go look at a car for somebody online, because one, they don't know the liability that they're taking on. And two, like the buyer, like, well, why would you even do that? You have no clue the credibility or the qualifications of the person. So that's kind of like the, the lowest bar. The next step up is a company like Lemon Squad or another large online company that has locations all over the country that you can have a remote inspection done. Now, I think these are good for certain types of things. They certainly are good for making sure you're not getting scammed. And by getting scammed, I mean like there's dealers out there that don't actually exist. They will take, um, they will take like an existing. But defunct dealership, and they will actually use that address and that dealership name, create a website, and then get a legitimate advertising account with cars.com or auto trader and list like 40 cars for sale. So it's like, wow, they have a website, they have an advertising account, this must be a legit dealer. But if you go on like Google Street View, it's some corner shack or gas station that isn't there. So hiring one of these companies to at the very least make sure the car and the dealership exists is good. But again, you don't know the qualifications of the person inspecting it. They might be an ASE master certified technician, or they might just be somebody that got a job because they can look at a car. Now, I don't know the particular vetting process of these different companies Um but you want to make sure you know what you're getting even in terms of the inspection, because we used to have people come out from these third party inspection companies on behalf of a bank. I won't say which bank, but they would come out to inspect our cars and they were so clueless about cars that I essentially had to fill out half the inspection for them because they would be looking at like a Ferrari and they're like, well, does it have power steering? Does it have power windows? can you put it into gear for me? Cause I can't drive stick. And they just like, we had to put it in first gear and reverse so they could see and just like move it forward and back. So they're like, okay, the transmission works. So again, that's like kind of the baseline, the bottom of the barrel. Now the kind of the next level is having a mechanic or a specialist check it out. A lot of people automatically want franchise dealers to perform a PPI. And let's just use Porsche as an example because that's the one I have the most experience with. People always say, well, well, I want a Porsche dealer to do PPI because there's this underlying assumption. Tyler's shaking his head no. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There's this underlying assumption in all of cardom that – I had to be careful when I put those two words (laughs) together. I'm like (laughs) – (laughs) hope I don't make a weird, awkward compound word, that the franchise dealer knows best. And that is not the case with servicing. That is certainly not the case with inspections. In fact, a lot of times it's the exact opposite. I will not say all the time having the Porsche sign on a dealership does not mean you're getting a higher level of service or that the technician is more qualified. just means they passed whatever Porsche tests. The other uh, thing to kind of consider is most franchise dealers have essentially just their 180-point checklist, which sounds like a lot of things to check, but it'd be like the same as their certified pre-owned checklist. Now, if you've ever looked at that checklist, it's fairly, uh, I guess, boilerplate. It's like a template checklist. They are looking at body gaps and certain things like that. They're checking the computer, but when you really get down to it, they're, they're measuring brake pad thickness. They're measuring tire thickness. They're checking the date codes on the tires sometimes, but they're not getting into the nitty gritty of certain things. Um, you know, for example, let's use Porsche GT3s as an example ceramic brakes. They can measure the thickness of the pads, but they almost never measure the thickness of the rotors. And I can tell just by a visual inspection whether or not the car has been tracked by simply looking at the surface of the ceramic rotors. They also probably don't test drive it and they don't get it into um, like torque load it in second or third gear, one, to see if the limited slip differential is working or if it's pulling left to right, two, to then unload it to see if the car is popping out of second gear. That's a common issue on GT3s. It's a common issue on 996 turbos. They're essentially just going through their boilerplate checklist. So a lot of these really, really expensive issues could pass not only a Porsche-certified pre-owned inspection, but a Porsche dealer PPI and or an independent PPI. And we've seen any number of cars pass these inspections. There was one, let's see, the, the, uh, there was a GT3 in California with high miles. And one of the things to look at on high-mile Porsches of any, any generation, but especially a GT3 that's been extensively tracked, is whether or not the chain guides have worn the timing chain guides, right? So they don't have a belt. They have a chain. But you still have the plastic guides that that hold the chain in place. And those guides will wear out over time. And then you can have the car skip time. And then you can have a really, really big problem. Engine explosion.
0: Causes me much anxiety. <laughs> yes.
1: Tyler has a 996. That's, <laughs> that's, uh yeah. They're known for their timing chain slap. So... <clears throat> The, the easy way to tell on the GT3s is to plug the computer in and look at the camshaft deviation numbers. And six degrees uh, plus or minus is typically the threshold. Really, you want to be two degrees or less, but that's like the threshold. There's a high mileage GT3 that went through a Porsche dealer pre-purchase inspection. And the only thing they looked at it is overrevs because that's the only thing people care about. And the camshaft deviation was way out of spec. So the car needed chain guides, which is not a small job. But, you know, nobody was the wiser until somebody else had an independent inspection done. So these Porsche dealer inspections or any dealer inspections are, are, are kind of a template thing, and they may not have specialty knowledge that you need in order to make sure you're covered. In addition, most franchise dealers will not perform PPIs because of the liability. And this goes back to expectations. People have expectations that a PPI is like this insurance policy that nothing is going to be wrong with the car, which is complete crap. It's total crap. You Engine numbers, right? There was a lawsuit a long time ago about a guy who bought a vintage Ferrari and it wasn't the original engine because it had been restamped by somebody along the line. The guy hiring it wasn't qualified to look at the engine number stamping and say, oh, this isn't an original Ferrari stamping from that period. So, you know, I, I know that this isn't the original engine. He was duped just as much as the owner, but that shop got sued for big, big bucks because they didn't catch it. So Porsche dealers, Ferrari dealers, for that reason, uh, they don't want the liability, especially for like a $250 paycheck for somebody that's out of state that they're never going to see again. They won't do PPIs, and for good reason. Um, I There's a Ferrari dealer that I used to work with, which is in one of the best service departments in on the planet. Um, shout out to Rich Kansky. He, uh, he managed that service department and, um, what they did to get around the liability aspect of it was that they would perform a leak down and compression test. So it's a very specific, now, again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how this would play out in court. I don't know if it was ever tested, but this was their strategy. They'd say, sure, we'll do a leak down and compression test for $500. That's a very specific test. So there's no subjectivity here's the leak down numbers, here's the compression numbers, period. And oh, by the way, here's the 17 things we noticed while the car was up on the lift, and here's photos. Wink, wink. So it wasn't this blanket just, oh yeah, this is a pre-purchase inspection, because again, what are, one, the expectations of the buyer, two, the qualifications of the tech, and do those two things align? So in order to get around the legal liability, that's what they did. And that's kind of what I recommend buyers do if a a service shop will go along with this is basically say, listen, you know what you're probably looking for. So give them a list of specific things you want tested. That doesn't mean anything either. (laughs) Because I had a Ferrari that went to another independent shop that shall remain nameless that I specifically asked on behalf of the customer, how is the clutch and are the headers cracked? Because those are both very common and very expensive issues on the 430. Supposedly, both of those things were inspected. Clutch was fine. Headers were fine. Uh, We later found a receipt from the previous owner, having it serviced, that noted the headers were cracked. And the car went to a different service shop after this pre-purchase inspection, they found the headers were cracked. The clutch was white from essentially the pressure plate was white from being burned up. It wouldn't go into reverse. So it was like, it was on its last leg. And also there was a noise from the bottom end of the engine. Right? So even when you tell somebody, oh, look at this, look at that, that doesn't mean you're going to get what you paid for. Like, again, you are ultimately responsible for making sure the car you're buying is up to your standard. And you are ultimately responsible for the risk. There is always, always a level of risk when you're buying a car. On the flip side of that, so you have the the guys that are just unqualified to do an inspection or miss things or whatever. On the flip side of that, you have the people who... uh overstate flaws in an effort to I don't know look smarter or maybe gain business for themselves. And we have uh, we had one of those as well. There's a there's a Porsche service shop locally um Autobahn extremist Chris Moore. He has been totally 86 from any business with us. If somebody asks for a PPI with him, I will refuse. No car of ours will ever, ever go to his shop. Happy to say that publicly Anyway, uh, we sent a 911 SC there for a pre-purchase inspection. It had been repainted. The customer knew this. We disclosed it. It was an okay paint job, but the body was straight. The car was straight. So it went there. He finds thousands and thousands of dollars worth of mechanical work that it allegedly needs, which... It didn't, by the way, in my opinion. I had daily driven the car over the summer with no issues, and it was a solid car. It was a driver, but it was a solid car. And he told the customer that the entire body was like wavy down the sides. Now, he did this thinking, I guess, that the customer was going to be so happy with him pointing out these issues that he'd buy the car and then hire Chris to do all this work. Well, He wasn't really thinking straight because the customer, when he got the report, was like, the heck, I'm not buying this car, even though, and I'm like, dude, here's pictures of the door down the side. like, It's not wavy, but he threw the inspection because he wanted the the service business and the paintwork business, et cetera, et cetera. So, man, you can get stuff on every single end of things you know, you can have somebody throw an inspection, you can have somebody completely screw up the inspection. But, uh, you know, ultimately, it comes down to the individual tech that's looking at the car, and you can have different results on different days. Um, I had a Porsche 930 that had some drivability issues and it went to three different highly qualified techs and every single one of them at three different shops including a Porsche dealer found something different wrong with it and I don't think any of the three fixed the issue but like they all diagnosed it as something different said they fixed it and it wasn't fixed and we eventually figured it out it was some boost issue I don't remember what it was but you know that's just to say that like you know, whatever pre-purchase inspection you get depends on the day, depends on how that person is feeling, depends on their qualification. You might have one guy that's like a a body and paint expert and the other guy that's an engine expert and he doesn't check the suspension, you know? Um, and, And then you have techs that are mechanical experts that, you know, in an effort to serve the customer, they get into advising on paint work and I've had them be just flat out wrong when they would write something on a pre-purchase inspection i had to go back and be like hey guys you're wrong on this paintwork here's the meter readings here's the receipts you know of what paintwork was done what paintwork was doesn't it wasn't and like you're telling the customer something that like you're you're out of your lane in terms of your qualification your expertise to, to say something about. So you have to be careful again with the qualifications of, uh, of who you're having do it. Um, I, th- I think the best thing ever that was missed was we sent a a 911 turbo to a Porsche dealer for a pre-purchase inspection. And I can't remember if we got our money back or not. I fought for it. I don't think I did, but th- the inspection in general was impossible to read um, because instead of like pass-fail, it was a bunch of questions with yes or no answers. But the problem was some of the questions were positive and some of them were negative. So like if you look at a regular inspection sheet and you have pass-fail, it's like, okay, if all the check marks are on the left, then that means everything's good. Well, this one was not the case. You wanted some of them to be yes and some of them to be no based on how the question was worded. But I think the tech just like didn't read it correctly either. So you had these questions like, are the brake shot? Yes. And the next one, is the engine good? Is the paint good? And so you just check yes. You're like, well, wait a minute. But at the end of the day, that particular inspection, they totally missed that the fact, the, the fact that the car had straight pipes, it had no cats. This is a Porsche dealer. They inspected the car underneath. You have to, to see the engine. The engine is under the car. And they missed that there were straight pipes right next to the engine. And so, like, the buyer had to spend a whole bunch of thousands of dollars to get it to pass, you know, emissions and, and, and be legal. You know, that's a legal issue, not just a, oh, uh, we missed that it had a louder exhaust. So... <clears throat> And if you're expecting to be saved from caveat emptor for 200 bucks, it's not going to happen. It's a useful tool in the belt. But again, ultimately, when you buy a car, it's as is. You got to do your homework. You have to make sure that you're not getting scammed, screwed over, whatever. And you have to realize that one, the dealer probably doesn't know jack squat about the car. So you have to do your own homework and don't believe what they're telling you two the mechanic may or may not know enough to give you a a, a comprehensive inspection but they're going to miss things and unless you're there in person alongside the tech or at the deal looking for the things that you want to be known about the car then you're going to have some surprises and that just is what it is and that's part of the fun of car buying I guess but uh you know, you you got to set your expectations properly. So, there's my uh, rant on PPIS. I hope that is helpful. Um, and uh, I I don't know what the the real conclusion is, other than caveat emptor. Perform your due diligence both on the person inspecting your car and uh, and the dealership, and and ultimately you're responsible. So.
0: I think you summed it up pretty well. as just it's another tool in your tool belt for determining if the car is a pile of crap or not. You know, it's it's not the end all be all. I've yeah. had two done that turned out to be pretty accurate, but I still spent thousands of dollars fixing stuff on the nine six eight after I bought it that wasn't wrong when I bought the car. Things just as I right. started to use it more, they happened. So it's well, and you just... got
1: like tons of service records too. Oh, that and that stack. that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean it means something, but that didn't prevent you from spending thousands of dollars afterwards for stuff that had allegedly already been done it's nice
0: to know it was done but you know it's whether it was done right or you know (laughs) there's some seal or something specifically that i was like "Mm, that was done two years ago allegedly i don't think it should be done again but it's all just it's just a i don't know it's not the end all be all right right yeah in 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 uh you need
1: You need to use proper tools when you're buying a car. And in the car business, there are plenty of tools. Fact. Yes. (laughs) Typically, they're behind the salesman's desk, in case you didn't get what I was getting at there.
0: Nope. (laughs) Completely over my head. Uh, Dry humor.
1: All right. Speaking of dry humor, let's invite the Corvette
0: curmudgeon on the show. Alrighty, uh, so Mr. Curmudgeon, this week uh, I've wanted to know. You know, we've talked a little bit about various uh, types of Corvettes uh, the past couple episodes, but I want to know today what have you done uh, to personalize your Corvette? Well, my Corvette's pretty rare as it
1: is. It's it's like a one of a one of seven in that color combo made that year. Uh, so it's it's already pretty personalized. But I I did quite a few things. So I did the uh, I did the the chrome uh, the chrome door trim. And ah, I got I uh, mm-hmm. the the gas cap Corvette logo, so if people are mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. at it from that angle, they know it's a Corvette. And I also got the mirror bras <laughs> and uh, the the front end bra <laughs> to keep from stone chips, and that's got the Corvette logo on it too, so you know it's a Corvette if you're looking at the if you're looking at the bra. And, uh, and I got the chrome uh, the chrome fog light cover louvers and the uh, chrome taillight louvers. And uh, those have the Corvette logo on it too. So if I hit my brakes at night, you know it's a Corvette. And uh, yeah, I had the uh, I had the steer- serial number stitched in my in my lawn chair too. So when I go to shows, people know that that's that's my my chair it goes with my car. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just a few things. I got I got some more, but yeah, it's it's a lot of them. I I got the uh, the wood trim covers on the inside too in the in the dash and in the door panels. And uh, they got a Corvette logo etched in them, too. So if somebody's riding in it, they know it's a Corvette.
0: Oh, well, I, that's, impre- that's that's quite a lot of oh stuff. Yeah. That's, uh, whew.
1: And I got a jacket, too, with my name embroidered on it and the serial number and a picture of my car. So uh, if I do leave my car at a car show, people know that I'm the owner of it
0: in case they want to ask me questions about it. Ooh, all right. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Curmudgeon, for uh, that yeah. insight into your, uh, your your Corvette show life. Uh, Corvette, Curmudgeon, and SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose. To make people a part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for your organization. BoxCast is so easy that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. Head on over to switchcars.com forward slash BoxCast for your free trial.
1: Excellent. And for those of you listening on the audio, you're, you're missing the hat, the, the Winston cigarette hat that makes a
0: Corvette curmudgeon activate. I also think the facial expression and the, the body language (laughs) is pretty on point. (laughs) Well, well, yeah, it's who he is. (laughs) All right. Producers judging the curmudgeon over
1: here. We're, we're going to, we're going to skip to the shrewd negotiator. (laughs) Then we are going to get to questions. Uh, we got a couple questions that came to us, uh, uh, from Instagram and, uh, Uh, From the stream last week, but uh, and then uh, any live questions that we have. So, um, the shrewd negotiator brought to you by VinWiki. Somebody sent me this. uh, They are selling their 2017 Porsche 911 Turbo S with actually 75,000 miles for 120 grand. Incredible deal. So, if any of you want a 992.1 Turbo S, hit us up. We'll put you in touch. That is the most reasonably priced uh nine nine two dot one Turbo S on the market.
0: Anyway, the somebody
1: what's that? Is it nine 17? nine one dot two. Seventeen it? 17. dot two. Sorry. Yeah. Right? I'm yes. just making sure folks don't get angry 992 in the comments. Two thousand twenty. <laughs> okay, sorry. Nine nine one dot two. Thank you. Two thousand seventeen. First year of the second gen. Apple CarPlay. Okay. What? Uh, ah, yeah. the offer. Oh man, this is this is shrewd negotiation. Hello, hello. I have a profitable biz- business in Midtown for sale at 120k. Would you do a straight trade? And so the guy actually asked, you know, what's your annual profitability and what's the what's the business? Well, it's a bubble tea close to other businesses I have in Midtown shops. Did the market study? So just cashing out. Rent is unbeatable. We negotiated it to 500. dollars we shrewdly negotiated to $500 with light included business has two employees and is profitable structure is mobile and included 500 to 1000 weekly net with absentee owner the name of the shop the anime bubba <laughs> so the the seller of the Porsche asked for a picture which if you go to our instagram switch cars it's on our story so you can check it out um <coughs> it's yeah it's a pink backlit bubble tea stand so the guy just says so you're trying to trade me a bubble tea stand for a Porsche 911 Turbo S and the response is yeah my asking is close to yours (laughs) (laughs) I mean man I I could ask 125 grand for a baseball card collection and then say I'll trade you for a bubble tea stand (laughs) man you get it takes all kinds uh so yeah this this is why people like consignment because they don't have to deal with crap like that so uh all (laughs) righty
0: to you tyler all right well we've got a couple of questions uh, before we hit up the ones who are the questions brought to us by oh they are brought to us by nuts for sticks Uh, nuts for sticks is a brand celebrating the mano transmission in all its forms forget flappy paddles we like shifting ourselves. Check out our fun and funny stick-themed shirts at nuts4sticks.com and save 10% on your order using the discount code SWITCHCAST. That is nuts4sticks.com and use code SWITCHCAST. So right, some of what these do we got? Uh, are a little bit more relevant for what we've been talking about, so I'm going to kind of shuffle them around a little bit. Do uh, that. Zach if wants like to know... Can they say, "Hey, Doug, can you talk about your process for buying cars sight unseen and shipping them?" <laughs> Don't use my process. <laughs> I was gonna say I have a process, but that involves I, you. So
1: no. I, okay, so we perform. We perform as much due diligence as possible. Most of our cars are purchased from either dealers with whom we have an existing relationship, which makes it fairly easy because we just know, like, hey, this dealer is... If they say it's a 7 out of 10, it's an 8 out of 10. Or if they say it's an 8, it's a 7 or whatever. And, like, you know, this dealer is fast with titles, slow with titles, whatever. So we we know our level of risk, and we, we are fairly secure when we're buying cars from other dealers. Um... We buy a lot of cars from private parties, though, which is different from most dealers who buy cars from auctions. And in auctions, you're taking a lot of risk on the car, but the title process, et cetera, is basically secured by the auction house. So when you buy from a private party, like, either there's a payoff or we're buying just clear title. So with the payoff, you know, we've got to get all sorts of power of attorney, authorization for payoff, deal with the bank, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with a clear title it's essentially just if they're close enough we'll go with cashier's check or check or cash or whatever pick up the car hand off the title and we're good if it's a long distance deal we're wiring money to somebody we've never met so we're doing as much due diligence as possible on the car that we can um you know service records if they exist searching the VIN, you know, normal checks, Carfax, VinWiki, et cetera, et cetera, Google, um, looking up the person, getting their driver's license, verifying their identity, et cetera, et cetera. There is always some level of risk, but, you know, that's kind of what we take on as a dealer. That's why we are able to buy cars for less. Now we're not trying to buy projects, um, but every now and then we buy a car that's supposed to be a nine and it's a seven and that just is what it is. Um, every now and then the title takes a little longer than it should or whatever, but you know, we've never gotten scammed that I know of. um, And that's really what we want to prevent. But you know, you just, you kind of have to average out uh, the risk and um, we're as careful as we absolutely can be. But a lot of it is just performing as much due diligence and then just using our gut in terms of, well, what do we know? What do we feel based on, thousands of transactions that we've done, does this all make sense and does it feel right? Because if it doesn't feel right,
0: it usually isn't right. So... And I feel like even if you don't have those thousands of transactions, you can have a pretty good gut on if a deal just feels weird. Mm -hmm. I haven't purchased a ton of cars myself. And you also didn't ask for my opinion, but here it is. Um, I've only purchased cars from out of state, sight unseen, uh, because I'm just personally tend to look for pretty specific things. Mm -hmm. I've got a PPI done two out of the three times. The other time, I just didn't care. I wanted the car. (laughs) Um, But it's just uh, talking to whomever, whether it's a dealer or a private seller, usually, you know. Depending depending, the money situation with financing can get a little weird, but uh, PenFed's great for that. They'll just write you a check and you can deal with it from there. Right, uh, But it's really the due diligence, like you talked about with the PPI, that is super important. You know, does the car seem like what you want? And do you know the risks you're taking? I bought a 996. The internet scares you away from those. <laughs> <There's> a lot <laughs> but of it's risks fine. there. You know, you, you, I, I have understood from the day that I bought that car that if it blows up, I need to be okay with it. Yeah, and I be I'm more free because of it. I think, but yep. it's the due diligence is huge. Yep, absolutely. And then get yourself a friend who can ship cars for you because that's been <laughs> really helpful. Thanks, bud. Uh, yeah, good luck <laughs> shipping. Everybody asks us to do that for them. So the one time I used someone other than you, it was it wasn't a terrible experience. The car got here fine, but it was just massively delayed, and the communication was weird. And
1: that will be a future episode, by the way. We will cover shipping. It is, it's. That might be an hour and five minute episode. That is <laughs> that is a deep topic, but we will cover that for sure. That'll be a, an episode of its own. So
0: stay tuned. All right. Next up, Sam wants to know, what is your least favorite C5 Corvette color combo? They personally hate anything with the horrendous red interior. Pewter. I do not like the pewter color. Is that like it's, gray? Or?
1: It's like a goldish silver. Ooh. It's just, it's weak. I don't care. I will take any. I will take the pace. I will take that the was, purple with yellow oh. interior, yellow wheels pace car because the pace car is amazing. over pewter. I do not like Peter.
0: <laughs> Unpopular opinion. It was a color of that era, but is it not good, Ethan? Can you can you uh, flash me that phone real quick? I'm too lazy to look it up myself. Yes. Ooh. It's, well, that's just old man spec. I've had a I, yeah in that yeah. Color. It's old man spec. <laughs> it's
1: less gold than old man spec, but it's it's still just meh, it's meh. I don't like silver anyway, and that's just a—it's like dirty silver. Yeah. yeah, that's slightly more gold, but that is definitely old man's. It's <laughs> yeah, even an automatic. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right, <laughs> that, that's not the pick of the week, is it? <laughs> no. Inventory. All right, so we've got a couple of uh, similar questions here, so we'll go with Jays. But uh, Gonzo Prius in the chat also asked something similar. Uh Jay says that they're headed to Scotland in May, had a wild thought. Instead of renting a car, uh, they were thinking about buying one and shipping it home to Flip. Do you have thoughts? <laughs> that was my favorite thing to do. I <laughs> out of the hardly country? ever well, no, I but I hardly
1: ever rent cars. I always buy them on location and drive them home or ship them home or whatever. And it's always almost always panned out pretty well. Last weekend I was in Atlanta for the uh uh, for an illegal race to get beer, and uh, on, in which I did not participate, for the record. But uh, instead of renting a car, I flew down to Nashville and bought a Porsche and drove it to Atlanta and then drove it home.
0: Oh, was so, that the nine six
1: eight? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I like it. Now there's a whole another element to buying a car overseas one you have to make sure it's eligible for import typically it's got to be more than 25 years old there's some other nuances that go along with that as well then you got to consider the import costs The shipping, the insurance while it's being shipped overseas, the duty when it comes in, the customs process. The best thing to do is just get a good customs broker that can handle all this for you. But it's not quite as simple as just buying a car in the States. So I think that'll probably be another topic for a future cast. But um, yeah, I I love the idea. Just
0: you got a lot of extra homework to do uh, when you're doing it overseas. Is there anything you'd look out for overseas that I guess would be eligible to import? I mean, obviously, anything uh, 25 years old or more, um, and then just kind of look at
1: what the demand is over here. I mean, almost anything that's unique over there that's plus 25 years is going to do well over here or more well than it would over there. Um, You know, BMW wagons, Mercedes wagons, anything kind of niche collector like that, you know, you can buy it for 10 grand there. Make sure your import costs are you know, going to be covered and probably sell for twenty here. So, but yeah,
0: nice. All righty. Next, we've got uh, Matt. They say, "What would someone in the right mind pay for a nineteen eighty eight Cream Puff fifty thousand mile Porsche nine two four S with an auto trans and a book of records?" Uh, I don't think anyone in the right mind would buy an automatic nine two four It does have some like <laughs> terrible four speed. <laughs>
1: I same thing with the nine forty fours. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. I just I wouldn't buy. It's the slowest nine slowest Porsche other than the three fifty six yeah. essentially. <laughs> but a front engine, weak four cylinder with an automatic. Like ooh, yeah, it's a transaxle car. The balance is good. Blah blah blah. But an automatic. Ugh. I mean, the crazy thing is everything else has gone up. So much that it's still probably
0: like a $10,000 car if it's super clean. Every time I see a 924, I'm depressed at how much they are because yeah. I had dreams of buying like one of the first gen, the like before the 944, ones that was in good enough shape for like a handful of grand, but yeah. now they're ridiculous. And I'm like, it's slow uh, and probably terrible.
1: <laughs> yep. Well, we are running out of time. I think we're going to, yeah, we do have time to do the Scaminator and then the flop of the week. I think we have time for both. Uh, yes, we're going to do the Scaminator quickly, so let's let's move right to the Scaminator.
0: All right, so we've got an ad here. Uh, do you want me to just start? Re- oh, yes, oh, you need, need my your... drum here, so. Yes, uh, Mr. C in chat was really upset that there was no drums. I'm sorry. So weird ethan and i were gonna fix that no many not many dad
1: jokes tonight so the scaminator is we're trying to see if uh if something is a scam and when we can tell that it is a scam so i'm gonna hit the symbol when i've figured this out because ethan has not gotten me a scam voice button yet
0: looking it up now all right I'm not so sure. I believe that, Ethan. Fire away. All right, so this listing is for a 2010 BMW 328i hardtop convertible in all caps for $7,900. Okay. I'm selling my 2010 cheap. BMW 328i convertible. It has 82,000 miles on it, has navigation, Bluetooth, automatic transmission. Runs and drives great. Upgraded the wheels to the new style. Also upgraded the Xenon headlights, as well as the gear shift knob to the new ones. Has uh, a rebuilt title.
1: Wait, wait, wait. wait. Gear shift knob. To okay. The- I don't know if that scam He's just an idiot. I've never heard an automatic trans
0: thing called a like, gear shift knob. The, the grammar's not okay. the best. All anyway. right. That's just bad car guy. Keep going. Has a rebuilt title due to someone stealing the cats. Ah! They were replaced, and it runs and drives great. Yeah, okay, that's that's a dead giveaway.
1: All right, so here's the thing: this isn't a scam scam as we typically know it, right? I, this car is is real, but there's other ways to get scammed besides just like, oh, the car doesn't exist, and this is some you know Nigerian or you know prince trying to take your money. Uh, a lot of it is just a misrepresentation scam. So it's important to use Carfax, like get a VIN, and do, uh, perform due diligence to verify the seller's claims. But this is a really common one where uh, people will disclose something about damage repair or downplay it. Uh, to give the impression that they're being trustworthy and, and, and saying full disclosure and giving the buyer a false sense of security. Um, the really easy tell here, for me at least, and you can't see the listing, but when I saw the listing, I looked at the photo and the front end was a different shade of black than the doors and the rear end. So I'm like, there's something else going on here. And sure enough, when I pulled the Carfax, it was like, you know, major front end damage, airbags deployed, yada, yada, yada. But nobody ever gets a rebuilt title due to the cats being stolen. That would be a theft report, if anything, but cats are expensive, but on a $10,000 car, come on. That's just, that was a huge red flag to me. So Anyway, there's, there's your, your Scaminator for the week. And now we are on to props and flops brought to you by
0: Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week from the Switch Cars inventory is 1994 <laughs> Porsche
1: 968 yeah, red on is. tan. The car flew down to Nashville oh. to buy 40,000, 45,000 miles previously owned by a, a celebrity's manager. Not that right. celebrity provenance ownership means anything, but uh, some people think it is. But really cool color, Ferrari, quintessential Ferrari <laughs> colors in a Porsche. Uh, had the major service done a few years ago and the thing just runs like a top. It's super clean. I put a 1000 miles on it, no issues, and I just really like 968s. They've got that 3 liter 16 valve awesome. engine wow. has more torque than the 944 is better looking, a lot of fun to drive. Way better than a 944 turbo. Sorry to all of you collectors who paid 80 grand for 944 turbo. This is better. It's on our website. It's only 369. Check it out now before it's gone. All right, our flop of the week. As much as I want to save this for the end, I got to do bad news first and good news second. We got to end on a high note. So the flop of the week, this is so good. This is so good. Uh, Shill bidding on Bring a Trailer, P-Car Market, any auction is totally against their rules. And I think it's bad anyway. Like, why would you do that, right? Let the auction play out. I'm going to slightly implicate myself in this, but I'm not because we had no participation in it, but haters are going to hate anyway. We have a Mercedes G63 for sale. It is currently for sale on our website, even though it sold three weeks ago on Bring a Trailer. How would that be? Hmm. Well, we put it on Bring a Trailer with a reserve of $90,000. To make a really long story short, well, let me give you a little bit of background. On Bring a Trailer and P Car Market, if the high bid is within 5% of the reserve, then the auction house will market as sold and then they will pay the seller the difference out of their buyer fee because they would rather take a skinny or take a zero and show the car is sold than to have a no sale. Right so they, that's right in their policies it's common practice if you sign up as a buyer or seller like you know this so we had a reserve of 90 grand and we're watching the auction watching the auction we had met with a seller the car the G63 was on consignment so we're selling it for somebody else and we had met with them earlier in the day. They wanted to lower the reserve to 85. I said, okay. Then they decided not to. We were back and forth on this. So I said, no, nah, just let the auction play out. Let's see how it goes. Well, sitting at 80 grand right until the final moments, which is typically when everyone bids 81, 81.5, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86. Now I'm looking at it going, okay, 86, 86 times 1.05 is 90,300. So it's going to sell. We're good. Like, bring a trailer, we'll cut us back a check for the difference. 86, sits at 86, counts down, it sells. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, not the result we wanted, but it doesn't matter. We still get 90 grand, which was our reserve. So I text the seller and said, hey, man, congrats, it sold. Like, don't worry, because if you see it sold at 86, like, you're still getting 90 because bring a trailer will make up the difference. We get the email. I then go check the email from Bring a Trailer. Congratulations, your item auction is sold. The seller name is and I or sorry, the buyer name is and I looked at. I couldn't believe my eyes. It's the same dude? It was the same dude. Oh, the guy consigning the car. And I text him. I'm like, <laughs> what the frick? <laughs> he won his own freaking car. I'm like, how do you not know this? And he's like, what happened, man? I'm like, how did I? W- I don't get it. Like. What why they charge my card? I'm like, bro, they make up the difference. You more like it's in the, the bitter contract. I'm like, uh, he's like, so are you gonna like what do we do now? Can you just sell it to the underbidder? I'm like, I don't know who it was. He goes, Well, yeah, me and another dealer friend of mine were bidding it up. I'm like, so the underbidder is your guy too? I'm like, come on, man, like you're gonna get me banned from bring a trailer. They're gonna think I'm in on this. Oh, and I'm, like, screenshotting all the text for the inevitable, you know, deposition. Right? <laughs> use a, a Toby Flenderson Ugh. quote. Uh, I'm, like, come on, man. Are you kidding me? So, yeah. So uh, then he asked me. He's, like, so the forty, they charge my card 4300 bucks. He's, like, are you going to take care of that with Bring a Trailer? Like, are you going to figure it out? I'm, like, no. I'm on their side. It's me and Bring a Trailer against you, man. Oh, so... <laughs> He he paid $4300 to not sell his car <laughs> on Bring a Trailer.
0: Oh
1: and it's God. still for sale.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, oh, oh it's too good. Can't make the stuff up. Some some people would think we're in on it, but we we're, we're not that stupid. <laughs> the flop of, the prop of the week. Uh it's, Ooh, what's it's the nothing box? special. This is this is a visual I got a new garage, my dream garage, and some friends brought some. I want friends to bring things over that would help me remember them, like the the friend wall. And uh, we have a kind of like an anonymous fan wall now, I guess. Jay Kearns, thank you. Shout out to you from California, sent me this thing. I'll describe it for those of you who are not uh, watching this live. But he sent this incredibly rad Ferrari Testarossa. phone that is amazing buttons this thing is so sweet i if 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 we were still doing a call-in show and we actually had a landline <laughs> i would pick this up maybe we can just fake it oh, what's yeah. the the was it the tonight show what was the one where they had like the the call-in the the
0: fake phone I don't oh, know. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm
1: reaching but yeah this this is awesome I, I just
0: I need you in like a big leather chair with a smoking jacket and a glass <laughs> of whiskey answering a call on your Testarossa phone. Oh gosh, I want to take this to like
1: Radwood and win best accessory. This is super cool. Anyway, thank you, Jay Kearns. This is this is um, this is excellent. You said I want to help you put a vintage Ferrari in your garage, but this is all I could afford. Sorry, that's okay. I don't have to pay for the maintenance, and I didn't have space for another car anyway. Okay, thank you all for joining us. We really had fun tonight. We hope you enjoyed it, and um, we'll be back next week, and uh, we'll have more uh, more stuff for you. Uh, thank you, uh, Tyler, for being the Ed McMahon, to my Johnny Carson. Thank you, Ethan Huffnagel, for uh, the uh, producer extraordinaire. Thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking. Uh, Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available next Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life.